From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Hello, Boston. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. That's talkwithfrancesca.com. Hope everybody had a happy holiday. To weigh in on this conversation, email me at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. The show is sponsored by Terramia Restaurante in the North End. It is absolutely the best place in the North End for Italian food. All right. Prediction is very difficult, especially about the future. Emotional investors make decisions by impulse or hype. Their investments are often, if not always, fueled by irrational pessimism. With me this morning is Jay Moreland. He is the author of The Emotional Investor, How Biases Influence Our Investment Decisions and What You Can Do About It. Hello, Jay. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, Francesca. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, well, you're welcome. Well, if truth be told, um, my financial planner sent me your book <laughs> because every time the stock market needle even moves a bit, I... I send him an email. He's oh, you're driving me crazy. But anyway, um, hopefully you can spare a listening audience who are investors a significant amount of pain if they follow your investing principles. Um, so how do biases and emotions influence our decision-making process? You know, in, in, in various, uh, I mean, really in various ways. Um, and that's kind of what, what I break down whenever I speak. I do a lot of public speaking and, and certainly in my book. But really, with biases, there's, there's two main general categories of biases. There's cognitive biases, and what they do is they influence the way we think about things, and oftentimes we call these shortcuts. Like our brain will make shortcuts in everyday life mm-hmm. that it really helps us be very, very efficient. But those same shortcuts, when we apply them to financial management, investing, and so forth, it can cause us to make some poor decisions. Uh, there's also a category of emotional biases. Now, emotional biases influence how we feel about something. And so that's oftentimes what happens is when we see losses, like we look at our statements and we see it go down. You know, when we see a loss once in a while, it's not a big deal. But when we see it happen over and over and over again, kind of like the financial crisis or whenever we get into kind of a tough time, a bear market maybe, mm-hmm. um, it can be very difficult. And it makes us feel lousy. And what's interesting, and some of the most frustrating things when I speak, because I speak to both financial advisors and I speak to retail investors, the most frustrating aspect is that it can really influence our daily mood. It's like people get up, they look at their portfolio values, and if it went up, they feel good that day. You know, look how much money I made yesterday or this last week or this last month. And if it went down, they feel bad and they have a really bad day. But the problem is those returns in the short term, We have no control over them whatsoever. So why would you want the mood of your day or your week to be influenced by something that we have no control over anyway? I mean, we invest, but we invest for the long term. And everybody agrees, almost every investor agrees, yay, I'm investing uh, for the long term. But because of these biases and our emotions, we're very much focused on short-term results. And those short-term results often will influence us to make poor investment decisions. And I'll tell you this, Francesca, even though I write about this and I speak about it all the time, I am influenced by these very same things. Oh, good. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I I put my wife on the phone. She'll attest to these things. So um, knowing about this is not... um, it, it doesn't. Mess, it, it helps us a little bit. It so you wrote the book bit. about yourself, then. <laughs> What's that? So you wrote yeah. the book about yourself. Yeah, and I think I think I, I say it somewhere in the book. I think where I, I basically one of the reasons I wrote this book is because this has influenced not only me, but I've also been a financial advisor for the last you know, 15, 16 years. So I've not only seen this in me; I've seen this in investors. So everything I write about in my book is I have witnessed firsthand, either because I've done it. Mm-hmm. or because I know an investor who's done it. So it's written from the heart. It's not necessarily from an academic, uh, you know, well, this is what we believe investors do. It's like, no, 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 I know what's going on out there. This is what we do, and this is what I've done as well. Mm-hmm. So we're all in this together. That's the beauty of it. It's not about you're a bad investor and I'm a great investor. It's about recognizing that we're human, and we all have these biases. And the best thing to do is understand we have these biases, get an idea of how they influence us, 
but then put together a plan to help us to overcome those biases. Because like I said, I, just because I know about it doesn't mean I'm not mm-hmm. influenced mm-hmm. by them. I'm still influenced by them. And the, uh, the solution is the same, you know, across the board. And that is you've got to have an investment plan. You've got to have an investment strategy to, to, to something to stick to when the times get tough. So, Jay, what can we do to make more thoughtful, deliberate decisions despite the urges to obviously do the opposite? So, I mean, there's a couple of things. One thing that I talk about, um, and this is in the book, is something called, that I like uh, called strategic procrastination. I like that because most people think that when you procrastinate, you know, that's usually not a positive quality or characteristic in somebody. Um, but when you do it strategically, it can really help. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have an impulse to buy something or to sell something. Um, why not wait a certain amount of time? Like, have that in your investment plan. Just agree to yourself. Hey, you know what? If I feel like trading something or changing something around, I'm not going to do anything for two days or, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're comfortable with. But create a period of time where you can allow your brain enough time to let that emotional impulse die down and then also allow the brain to start thinking rationally because one of the key things is that um, whenever we're emotional about something or whenever we feel stress or anxiety which is basically the stock market in any given week um, <laughs> right what, what happens is physiologically our, our our amygdala and our brain goes off and what that does is it causes more of a fight-or-flight response we want to act and we want to act right now if we see losses it's let's stop those losses if we see gains Let's back up the truck and let's get more gains. You know, the pride Mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm. get them there. Right. And so when those emotions are high, um, we're not able to think cognitively. We're not able to think clearly about situations. So the best thing to do is to simply back away from the situation, allow the emotional impulse to go down, and that'll provide time for the cognitive part of our brain to get going. So now we can actually assess the investment. Maybe the initial impulse is still a good thing to do, but now you're making your decision based upon uh, thoughtful consideration rather than emotional impulse. So I think one of the keys is to make sure that you have time because it's very hard, if not impossible, to make a thoughtful, uh, deliberate, logical decision when we're in a high emotional state. And that's not just money. That's any time in our life. Yeah, I was, I was thinking just that. But, you know, I'm thinking back in 2008. You know, the TV was on and the stocks were tanking, 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 just kept tanking every day. I mean, it was a nightmare. And, you know, so it's fine. You can, you know, t- I agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, just kind of sit tight and, and, and maybe ride the wave, make a decision, but, but give yourself some time to, to think it through. But when it's consistently going down for a long period of time, and we just actually had that over the summer, it was really, it had gone from like 18,000, I think, to something like, I don't know what it was, down to like fifteen five or something. It was horrible. Um, you know, I mean, I think... That is when it keeps going down like that. Maybe not. Maybe not over the summer because that was kind of like a little slower. But like 2008, that just like tanked really fast. How how do you advise your clients on something like that? Does the same rule still apply? It still applies. Yeah, because now. Um uh, first off, if you do something like that, there's always the chance that, yeah, you, you hold off for a couple of days, the market continues going down, and let's say you still decide to sell, right? That's the assumption we're making. Markets are bad. Your initial impulse is, I want to sell, and um, and then you say, but wait, I'm going to hold off, let's say, two or three days, and then you're like, ah, crap, the market went down another 4%. Well, yep. I'm going to still sell. Yep. But then you get mad at yourself. You get mad at your advisor because it's like, man, I just lost this much more money because I, I followed this. But a lot of times by sitting back and assessing the situation, you're not going to do what your initial impulse was. So that's the key thing is that because the emotional impulse is seldom correct. Now, let's take a situation, and this is one that I speak about. It's a very, very powerful exa- example The question number one that you have to ask yourself is, what is your time horizon on this money? Yes. When do you actually need it? Not when do you want it to go up. We want it to go up every single day, right? Right. But when do you need it? If it's an IRA, 401k, 
you know, you're looking at age 55 plus before you even touch that thing. Um, so, but to ask yourself, what is, when do I really plan on using this money for something? And here's my catch is that I say if it's seven years or more, and the longer the time horizon, the better, then it would behoove you to stick with your investment strategy. Because what I did was I looked, I went back to 2008, and I said, let's say I purchased the S&P 500, right, large cap stocks covering the U.S. markets. I, I put money into it June 1st, 2008, which was kind of right before Bear Stearns was, was already in the news, but it's before they went out, and it was certainly before the big debacle with Lehman Brothers, mm-hmm. Merrill getting bought yep. out by B of A, yep. and then the big move down, right? So let's say we go in, we buy a whole bunch of stocks before – Nine months later, I mean, we're looking at being down close to 50% at that time. Right. Now, let's say an investor's in there, and they're just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to stick tight into it, right? They just, they just hold in there the whole time. Over the short term, yeah, they lose, you know, 50%. But you know what? Seven years later, seven years later, um, assuming they rebalance their portfolio, which is one of the strategies I certainly do recommend, how often and they reinvest you, the how, dividends. How so, often do you? Um, pardon me. How often do you recommend rebalancing the portfolio? You know, that's something to speak with you know your individual advisor about. What I generally do is, um, you know, I, I think that yearly is just fine. Uh, you'll have other behavioral economists out there that don't think rebalancing is great because they say, well, you're selling the winner. Why don't you let the winner ride more? So this isn't a, this isn't a strategy that's 100% bought by, by everybody. And that's why I say speak to your financial advisor about that. But generally, I think, you know, once a year is fine. But one thing that I also do is I put uh, limitations on it um, for my own is that I'll also qualify it with a percentage change. Meaning what I'll do is I'll say, look, I'll rebalance once a year if I'm 5% off. So if I have a portfolio of, let's say, 70% stocks, 30% bonds, mm-hmm. if a year from now it's 72%, 28%, I don't change anything. But if the next year it's 77%, 23%, okay, that's greater than a 5% deviation from my target, then I move back to 70-30. To but in this situation uh, that I was going back to buying all these stocks right before the market went down, seven years later, as long as you held, not only did you recoup all your losses, but you gained an additional 80%. That's 80%. That is significant gain. The unfortunate thing is what happened with many investors is that they held tight for the first couple of months, and then especially around October of 08, when things got really rough, with the, when Congress got involved trying to pass these different things, uh, TARP and so forth, um, a lot of, you know, markets were going down 7% a day. A lot of people just sold. And you know what? I was out this last year. I spoke to over 7,000 individual investors this last year, and I can tell you there's quite a few investors that went to cash, mm-hmm. and they're still in cash today because there was never a good time to get back in. And that's the truth of it. There never is. One of the most dangerous things about going to cash is that you leave the realm of investing. You're no longer an investor. You're now a market timer. You're a speculator. How in the heck do you get back in? When is the right time? Because there's never a right time. So those people that maybe wrote it down a little bit and said, I've got to sell, and then they sold, in the short term, their decision may have looked to be really good. Mm -hmm. But again, they're not needing the money right now. They're needing the money down the road, and they left a lot of potential money on the table. So question number one for that is, what is your time horizon? And I'm a believer that if your time horizon is less than three years, you shouldn't be investing. You might as well just go to the casino with the money because nobody knows what's going to happen right. in the next three years. Right. The more time we have, the more economic cycles we see. And so if we happen to catch a downward trend in an economic cycle, it gives us time to make it back up. Because contrary to popular belief, the experts can't predict accurately. What kind of a cycle and, are we in right now? I'm sorry? What kind of a cycle are we in right now? Oh, you know, I don't know. I, I honestly, I you mean, mean, you don't have I your don't, magic, you don't have your, uh, you don't have your, uh, what do you call it, the, the eight ball or whatever it is? 
Yeah, the magic ball. The it's magic ball. Like Listen, it would say, "Ask me later." Right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's a good one, listeners. I hope you are taking notes. If you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Jay Moreland. He is the author of The Emotional Investor: How Biases Influence Our Investment Decisions and What You Can Do About It. We are Jay. We just have to take a real quick break. When we come back, I'd love to talk about what motivates investors. Is it always making money? Be right back. Stay tuned. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. If you're looking for a transformation fitness center that's based on results and an energizing exercise environment, then Greater Boston Fitness is the place for you. Located at 321 Charger Street in Revere, the fully dedicated staff is not only experienced but cares about you. For more information, call 781-286-0232 or log on to greaterbostonfit.com. Don't waste another minute saying, I will tomorrow. Call today. You'll be glad you took the first step. Nothing's worse than getting into a freezing cold car in the morning. Auto Sound is ready to warm you up. Remote starters are the hot item and are high in demand. We have appointments available for you and your vehicle this week. Owned and operated as a family business since 1971. We are conveniently located in Middleton on Route 114 and Plainville on Route 1. We are the leader in aftermarket automotive accessories. From remote starters to heated seats, we do it all. Visit AutoSound.com and submit your vehicle info for a custom quote and to check out our huge menu of products and services. That's autosound.com. Are you on Facebook? We are too. Search for Autosound Company Inc. and like our page for access to special deals including a coupon for 15% off remote start systems. Check us out and never get into a cold car again. Nothing is worse than an aching back. I know because I've been there. Fortunately, I was referred to Dr. Mark Friedman at Right Spine and I wouldn't go anywhere else for chiropractic treatment. Right Spine is a unique facility that combines chiropractic treatment, medical care, wellness, and physical therapy services all in one location in Swampscott. The ability to see different kinds of providers in one location makes taking care of your problem, or better yet, preventing problems, easier. The goal at Right Spine is to get you the best possible results in the shortest time frame. With over 25 years of experience, Dr. Mark Friedman has seen just about every condition possible. Right Spine is dedicated to partnering with patients and wellness partners to deliver exceptional care in the areas of chiropractic care, integrative medicine, and physical therapy. Visit rightspine.com today or call 781-581-7300. Are you having problems getting reimbursed for your medical bills? Wise up and call Medwise, the master insurance advocates. Medwise owner Adria Goldman-Gross is nationally recognized as the expert in the field with more than 25 years experience. If you've been denied insurance claims or if you had issues recovering money from your insurance company, Adria at Medwise may be able to help. Call 559-MEDWISE. If you've been overcharged for medical services or just getting a runaround, Medwise can put a stop to it. Call 559-MEDWISE or go to medwise.nyc. That's M-E-D-Wise.nyc. Maybe you've laid out thousands of dollars for medical services, and now the insurance company or the government is refusing to reimburse you, or the process is just dragging on. Medwise will straighten them out and get things moving. When you call your insurance company, you get nowhere. When Adria from Medwise calls, they shiver. Go to Medwise.nyc or call 559-MEDWISE. Just say, Adria, I need help, and get results. Looking to have less stress, eliminate clutter, and increase productivity? Then look no further because I have the answer. Nancy Black, owner of Organization Plus, will work miracles wherever you feel stuck. Nancy can help you with organizing your workspace, whether it be at home or in an office. Eliminate wasteful spending on office supplies that aren't needed and have better workflow while helping you to achieve your goals faster. I know because I was there. In just three short hours, she turned my office into a super productive workspace. And she'll do that for you, too. I can't wait for you to call her so that you, too, can enjoy all the 
the benefits of Organization Plus. Visit OrganizationPlus.com today or call 978-922-6136. She's waiting for your call. You are listening to Talk with Francesca this morning, and I am speaking to Jay Moreland, who has written the book, The Emotional Investor, How Biases Influence Our Investment Decisions and What You Can Do About It. Welcome back, Jay. Yeah, thank you, Francesca. So, Jay, what motivates investors? Is it is it always about making money? I mean, you know, I would think it would be, but then again, you know, people, we are, we are emotional beings. Yeah, so... Um... I mean, there, it is. It really ties into money because, and it's what money represents or stands for. Now, there are people out there that invest based upon ego as well. So you do have the ego that, that that goes into there, and and we all have a lot of ego, even though we don't think we do. We do. I mean, the the, the bottom line is is the investing decision uh, mistakes. The investing mistakes that we make, we tend to forget about because it hurts our ego. We want to think about our winners, not our losers. Um, so ego does have something to do with it, but it's also how we perceive money. We know that money uh, defines what our potential lifestyle could be down the road. And so that's why we invest to begin with. It's like, look, I want to maintain my lifestyle down the road. I want financial independence, right? I mean, that's really what everybody wants. So I can choose to work. I can go do volunteer work. I can travel the world. You know, everybody has their aspirations that they have. And so money represents the ability to do those things. So the, the, the drivers, the drivers are, um, you know, psychological in nature, but they're tied to money. So, uh, yeah, I, I do believe that two things do. Number one, the desire to make more money, which is a very strong desire because you know, what's traditional in a, in a financial advisor type relationship is you sit down, hopefully you do a financial plan, um, you put together an investment strategy, and there's some assumptions made. Well, with this portfolio, we assume over the long term we'll average, let's say, 7% a year. And so, Mr. and Mrs. Client, this will help you, you know, achieve your financial goals. Great, fantastic. They leave the room, but here's the problem. Well, that says I'm going to achieve my goals when I'm age 62. Gee, if I can just increase the return a little bit more, I can achieve them when I'm 55. So then you get the greed breaking into it, too. But we don't really see it as greed. We just see it as let's fast forward when we hit our goals. But anytime we try and fast forward, we're naturally taking on more risk. Whether well, gambling we and that risk. Isn't it gambling in, in, in a way? It can be. The shorter term that we have on investing, the more like it is to gamble. Because investing is about owning a company, not owning a stock. That's the difference. And these days, most people view stock ownership as, why are you buying this stock? Why are you investing in this stock? And everybody will say, because I think it's going higher. Well, why are you telling the dealer to hit you when you're playing blackjack? Why are you, well, because I think the card's going to be this. But it's all outside of our power. Mm-hmm. And depending upon our time horizon when it comes to the stock market, yeah, it's like rolling the dice. You just don't know what's going to happen in the short term. And the one thing we seem to learn with the market is whenever everybody thinks something's going to happen, something else is going to happen, mm-hmm. right? It just seems like that's always seems to happen. And uh, Richard Thaler, he's a, uh, a professor at uh, the University of Chicago. He's one of the founders, founding fathers of behavioral economics. Uh, he has a new book out called Misbehaving, fantastic book. He says in there that uh, the one thing that investors should expect is to be surprised. At some point, we're going to be surprised in 2016 going forward. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the key behind this is that make sure that you have a good time horizon and stick to that. But it's hard because the brain wants to focus on short term. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing that we really want, Francesca, is that, that investors really want is they want to know that they're doing a good job, that they're being successful, and they're on the right path. So what's the feedback we get? How do we know we're being successful? Well, the returns tell us that, right? If you have good returns, great. I'm obviously doing something right. Right. But the reality is in the short term, returns are highly variable and mostly random. So short-term returns don't tell us whether our investment strategy is great or not. 
They just tell us what happened in the short term. And so oftentimes investors are tempted to abandon their strategy because they see some sector or segment of the economy or the market's doing really well, Mm -hmm. and their diversified portfolio isn't doing so great. And you know what they end up doing? They buy high and they sell low. Every investor out there, Francesca, will say the key to investing is to buy low and sell high. I agree. Much easier said than done. But most investors end up buying high and selling low, and they do it all the time. For example, this last year, at the end of 2014, we had a year with the S&P 500 was up like 13%, which represents U.S. stocks, and international stocks were flat to down. There were lots of investors that said, you know what, I'm tired of international stocks underperforming the stock market because this wasn't a one-year thing. It's been like five years now. So what are investors doing? Let's sell the international and let's put more money in U.S. stocks. Well, that's an interesting concept. So let's sell the thing that's underperformed, meaning we're selling low, and let's buy the thing that's outperformed. Let's buy high. So it's kind of funny is that no one said, everybody says we buy low, sell high, but almost all of our decisions are the complete opposite because we just don't catch it. We don't put those two and two together. And so I'm a huge proponent for financial advisors that understand how behavior and psychology influences kind of plays with our mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my job is to go out and train advisors on this and certainly to allow investors to know uh, as well. And I was thrilled that your financial advisor sent you a copy of the book (laughs) because people ask me, who is this book written for? And I had to ask myself this question, too, when I wrote it. And I said, well, I want it to be written for the individual investor because that market is bigger than the financial advisors. But what happened, what I was hoping is that I'd give these to advisors, they'd read it and they say, oh my gosh, yeah. I want my clients to read right, this. Right, right, because they don't uh, want to be blamed either. Hey, you know, Jay, in the introduction of your book, you say you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. I, I guess that's when you're talking about buying low and selling high, right? No, wait, buying, buying, yeah, wait, <laughs> buying. to get them mixed yeah, up. Yeah, I, right, I know. <laughs> you say it, the, say it the way it's supposed to be again. You're supposed to uh, buy low and and, and sell high. Sell high. There you go. Yes. I look for, I look, <laughs> you can tell I'm a really sophisticated investor. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know what? So that quote was a Rahm Emanuel quote that I used to start out my book. And, and really what that, the reason I wanted to use that quote is it gives an intro as to how I got into this to begin with. And my experience through 2008 as a financial advisor, how it made me feel, and, um, and then kind of what I got out of it. But uh, but we also want to look at the market downturns, the crises that we've had. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important for investors to be real with themselves and ask themselves, what mistakes have I made in the past? Because like I said before, because of ego, we tend not to do it. But if we don't recognize the mistakes, if we don't recognize how we felt leading up to that and acknowledge the mistake, we are bound to make it again because we're not learning from them because we never acknowledged them in the first place. So I think a key to investing going forward is to be real with ourselves. We have made mistakes, and you know what? We are going to make mistakes going forward. But it's just about improving upon them, learning that, okay, it's okay if I make mistakes. You don't have to go and and tell everybody you made the mistakes, but you certainly need to be upfront with yourself about it. Find out why you made it. Did you jump in? Did you feel an emotional impulse about it? Okay, so you did. Fine. Let's fix it. Let's fix the mistake, and now let's learn from this going forward. And the name of the game is making less mistakes as time goes on. And certainly the hope is that as you get closer to retirement and retirement, you have recognized how many mistakes you've made, that you're now a pretty wise investor, and you're not making as many going forward. But we have to acknowledge the mistakes in order to learn from them. Fantastic. Uh, Jay, we are going to take another break. Um, We are going to be right back. And what I want to talk about when we get back is how do you ensure the emotions don't get in the way when you are advising a client? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Looking to have less stress, eliminate clutter, and increase productivity? Then look no further because I have the answer. Nancy Black, owner of Organization Plus, will work miracles wherever you feel stuck. Nancy can help you with organizing your workspace, whether it be at home or in an office. Eliminate wasteful spending on office supplies that aren't needed and have better workflow while helping you to achieve your goals faster. I know because I was there. In just three short hours, she turned my office into a super productive workspace. And she'll do that for you, too. I can't wait for you to call her so that you, too, can enjoy all the benefits of Organization Plus. Visit OrganizationPlus.com today or call 978-922-6136. She's waiting for your call. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's Restaurant Guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Where does your dog stay when you go away? Pause here. That's where, conveniently located right behind Market Basket in Revere on Route 60. At Pause Here, your dog will feel right at home. Pause Here is a cageless doggy care, boarding, and training facility open 365 days a year. Pause Here is a premier dog destination with a large indoor and outdoor area, pools, and beds. So whether you want a day off, a week, or regular doggy daycare, call 781-286-PAWS or visit PawsHereInc.com. One word of caution, your dog may expect the royal treatment when they get home. Are you having problems getting reimbursed for your medical bills? Wise up and call Medwise, the master insurance advocates. Medwise owner Adria Goldman-Gross is nationally recognized as the expert in the field with more than 25 years experience. If you've been denied insurance claims or if you had issues recovering money from your insurance company, Adria at Medwise may be able to help. Call 559-MEDWISE. If you've been overcharged for medical services or are just getting a runaround, Medwise can put a stop to it. Call 559-MEDWISE or go to medwise.nyc. That's M-E-D-Y-S-E. Maybe you've laid out thousands of dollars for medical services, and now the insurance company or the government is refusing to reimburse you, or the process is just dragging on. Medwise will straighten them out and get things moving. When you call your insurance company, you get nowhere. When Adria from Medwise calls, they shiver. Go to medwise.nyc or call 559-MEDWISE. Just say, Adria, I need help, and get results. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Nothing is worse than an aching back. I know because I've been there. Fortunately, I was referred to Dr. Mark Friedman at Right Spine, and I wouldn't go anywhere else for chiropractic treatment. Right Spine is a unique facility that combines chiropractic treatment, medical care, wellness, and physical therapy services all in one location in Swampscott. The ability to see different kinds of providers in one location makes taking care of your problem, or better yet, preventing problems, easier. The goal at Right Spine is to get you the best possible results in the shortest time frame. With over 25 years of experience, Dr. Mark Friedman has seen just about every condition possible. Right Spine is dedicated to partnering with patients and wellness partners to deliver exceptional care in the areas of chiropractic care, integrative medicine, and physical therapy. Visit rightspine.com today or call Listening to Talk with Francesca, I'm speaking with Jay Moreland, who is the author of The Emotional Investor, How Biases Influence Our Investment Decisions and What You Can Do About It. And I hope you guys are taking notes. And if you're just tuning in, get a notepad and take some notes because there's lots of great information here. Jay, thanks for staying with us here for, for just a little bit more time. Absolutely. Um, so, 
So, uh, Jay, how do you ensure that emotions don't get in the way when you're advising a client? I mean, is there kind of a a test that you give them in the beginning to see sort of what their risk, um, you know, their their ability to take risks are? Or is there any way you kind of determine um, or or you can ensure that these emotions don't? Because it's got to be really challenging, I would think, when the market does go down and go down and go down. Your phone must start ringing off the hook. Yeah, you know, it, and it really depends upon how an advisor, you know, works their, their business. Um, first off, um, I want to make sure that your audience knows that advisors are not immune to these feelings and these biases either. Um, advisors are just as used to it. So if a client goes up to an advisor and has all of these things, it, it's very easy. You can make mistakes. I've made mistakes before in the past. And uh, like I say, it's just about learning from them. Um, but, you know, an advisor also, there's something to say when it's not your money. When it's other people's money, you become more objective and less emotional about it. So while the advisor still has uh, influences or these biases influence them, the, some of the best advisors out there, you'll talk to them and they'll say, who manages your money? And oftentimes financial advisors will hire another financial advisor to help them. Hmm, really? Basically to protect them from themselves. <laughs> right, I mean, I, exactly. I, I, I'm a financial advisor still. I, I still work with a, a few clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my own money, I work with another financial advisor that I trust because I need to make sure that when the emotions are high, like I said, I'm subject to this stuff too. It's like a bad and relationship, that, right, when it's really going down. <laughs> you know, you have to the, kind of decide, hey, is it going to keep going down? Is it going to get worse? And what moves do I make? Or do I do I make a move? Or am I being really emotional here? And it's really, it, it's kind of all the same thing, isn't it? It, it really is. Like your, your question of, um, you know, your first question you brought up, you know, where's the market going? Is it going down from here? And that's something that I go into a lot of detail about when I speak with financial advisors is that we as humans, when it comes to investing, we tend to focus on things we have no control over. Like, is the market going down? You know, nobody knows. Nobody knows, and we have no control over it. And yet we spend very little time focusing on things we have complete control over, which is our response to the markets. Like, we have complete control over how much risk we take. We have complete control over our investment strategy. If you ask most investors, what's your investment strategy? Is it written down? Most investors will say, no, my strategy is to buy low and sell high. But I'm talking about a written investment strategy that dictates when do you buy stocks? When do you sell them? So you have a method to it. You have an approach to it. Because if you don't, you're more likely to be influenced by these emotional impulses. So and funny thing is, we all have complete control over that. What are you going to do if the market goes down? Or not if. When the market goes down 20%, because we know from the history of the market, the market will go down at 20% at some time in the future. That's just called economic cycles. We don't know what's going to trigger it. We don't know how long it'll last. We don't know if it'll stop at 20 or go to 30 or 40. We don't know any of that. But we do know that markets will go down significantly at some point in the future. We have no control over it. But we do have complete control over what am I going to do when that happens? Do I actually want to buy low? And what does buy low mean? Does that mean if it goes down 20%, I've put 5% from cash or bonds into stocks? I don't know. That might be a strategy. What if it goes down more and now it's down 35%? And so those are some things that we can focus on right now. So when the market does go down, whether we're an individual investor or whether we're working with a financial advisor, rather than focusing and trying to speculate on what's going to happen, because remember, the TV and the experts aren't going to tell you. Research has shown that experts are wrong more often than they're right. Oh, the really? Research has shown that. Oh, wow. That's so I did we not want know. To be very, now, they're always 100% confident, and they always provide very good evidence behind it. But the academic studies have shown that they are wrong more often than they're right. It's close to 50-50, uh, but they still are off just a little bit. So. We can't really go to them. I mean, they'll, they'll tell us a nice story. They'll mm-hmm. put evidence behind it. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is nobody knows. Nobody can predict things consistently. Uh, so what we want to do is focus on our strategy because that is what we have control over. So rather than speculate on, hey, what's going to happen? How much further is this market going to go? It's a much better discussion to have with your advisor. Okay, if the market goes down another 15%, that's really going to hurt me. You know, I'm not going to want to see it, but I don't need this money for 7, 10, 15 years, whatever it is. So 
advisor, tell me, when should we buy in mm -hmm. and how much should we be buying? And should we just do it of the S&P 500? Should we do it of the international index? Now you're talking about something very productive. What you're doing is you're having a thoughtful, rational discussion about how do I buy low? At what point do I buy low? Because if not, if, you, if your conversation is about, oh, my gosh, how much lower is this going to go? I don't know how much I can take. What you're really doing is you're setting yourself up for selling low and locking in your mm -hmm. losses. And that's what, that's what investors do um, over and over again. But that doesn't mean we have to do it going forward. And so that's what I try and do in, in my book is I just break down some of these concepts. I'm very straightforward about them. I give some ideas about things that investors can do. There's no holy grail, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I think by taking a couple of these steps, it might help improve the decision-making process, which is really what this is about. Exactly. You know, it, when there was the, the stock market crash way back in whatever it was, 1929, I mean, I think it really caused – people to have like almost post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, if you, you talk to, you know, older people who, you know, sort of grew up with that with their parents and, and when the stock market just completely tanked, these are people who, who just, I, I swear, you know, these old people die and there's money under their mattress. I mean, not maybe literally, well, it could be, but, you know, not literally, but just about, you know, and, and you always hear about these stories about older people in these safety deposit boxes with like hundreds of thousands of dollars in there and you know i mean it's it's a very traumatic thing i mean because it, it starts to get forget about lifestyle it becomes a survival thing you know like how will i survive and it's frightening absolutely, you know? absolutely. and that goes back to our amygdala which is our survival instinct but you know francesca we actually saw that we've seen that a little bit here in 2008 2009 crisis not quite to the extent but while the market, as uh, when I say market, I mean S&P 500, that's what I'm just uh, right. quoting. The market has done fantastic for the last five years. Most investors have only gotten a small percentage of that gain. Why? Because of the post-traumatic stress disorder of this last one. Uh, a year or two afterwards, even now, it's not about, oh, I, I wonder if we'll have another financial crisis. People are saying, when is it going to happen? Right. I don't trust this market. I don't trust the Fed. You know, the Fed doing all the printing, all this money, all the quantitative easing programs. Yep. Now that they've stopped that, people are, again, very susceptible because this is uncharted territory. We just don't know. We've never had a Fed that has done all of these quantitative uh, right. easing. So at least I'm not familiar with it. So we really don't have anything to go off of. So people's innate fears are, I can't have another 2008, 2009 happen. Just about every investor says that. Right. But unfortunately, we just don't know what's going to happen. Nobody's going to be able to tell us when the next crisis happens. The key thing is to define your time horizon, define your risk. Those two, with speaking with a financial advisor, can really help out. And then find an advisor that understands how psychology influences your investment decision. And that can help coach you along the way. I think that that could be a huge benefit. And that's right now what I'm doing when I go out and I speak to advisors, and I'm actually creating some tools for them right now to help them better coach their investors. Because that's the value of investing. It's not predicting what's going to happen because nobody knows. It's about having the conversation about, okay, we can't control this, but we can control this part. So let's focus on this part. Let's focus on our response. Let's keep our focus remained on your investment plan and worry less about the markets because the markets are outside of our control. Yes, they're going to worry you, but you know what? We've got the strategy down. We know the strategy's good. Let's just stay focused on that. You know, I, I just wanted to just ask you a question that really is going off the track here a little bit, but I've just heard so much about annuities and how they're they're not good. And I was curious whether you have... Um, an opinion about them. I mean, there's so many products, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, but, you know, you just kind of never know, you know, with these things. I mean, you know, some people say, oh, it's the greatest thing in the world, and other people say, oh, it's just way too much money that you're spending, and I don't know, personally, I, I would think it would be kind of a, a nice thing to have if you're getting ready to retire, knowing that you have that guaranteed income. Yeah, you know, and I'll, I'll make this statement very general about um, any investment, is that any investment can be good for an investor, mm -hmm. uh, barring Ponzi schemes, right? Uh, <laughs> we'll yeah. take care of the obvious. <laughs> yeah, right? no kidding. But, but any investment um, can be good for an investor, depending upon their situation. And that same investment can be absolutely the worst thing for another investor. And that can be even stocks. 
Mm-hmm. So it's very important to understand what your goals are, and that's part of having a financial plan, sitting down, discussing what your goals are, and then working together with an advisor that can kind of go out there and, and, and see what they do. Um, I'm, I'm a very big proponent of uh, advisors that have a wealth of offerings. I mean, if, if you're dealing with somebody who works for an annuity company, right. and so the they pay their mortgage by selling an annuity, they're going to be biased. So you want to make sure that an advisor that you use has 31 flavors, basically. So they have no mm-hmm. no, no real uh, inherent um, bias towards one versus another, but they're really looking at the investor. And unfortunately, there are some stories about annuities as well as other investment products where, you know, a couple of bad stories give a bad name to something. But the very fact that billions of dollars every year are going into any type of different investment strategy is telling you that they're, they're obviously right for some people. So the key with any, everything is that just because another 65-year-old who lives down the street that looks just like you, let's say, um, got this investment and they absolutely love it, doesn't mean it's right for you because still our investing DNA is different. Right. We have different risk tolerances. We have different desires. Um, so it's very important to, to really sit down and look at yourself, find out what your goals are. Like, what do you value more than anything else? Kind of do a, uh, you know, I value this, number one, value this, number two, value this, number three. And, yes, for people where safety and security is number one, mm-hmm. um, yeah, an annuity kind of provides that because, you know what, stocks don't. Mm-hmm. So, but for somebody who wants grow, a lot of growth, um, and really low-cost investing, uh, an annuity would be horrible for them. For them, stocks would be great. So that's why I say you can have uh, investment products across the board that work great for some people and do absolutely horrible for the other one. It's really finding out what you value most. Well, I think the financial planner should have um, a degree in psychology first, Jay. Um, but let's talk a little bit about financial planners and choosing one because, you know, they're – is, you know, the the ones that they take a percentage off your portfolio, and then there's the ones that charge you sort of a a, a flat fee for the year or or hourly or whatever. Do you have a recommendation for our listeners of of the type of financial planner that one should kind of go with? I don't. No, I don't. Um, The most important thing, I think, in choosing a a financial planner is um, do they get you and do you get them? Are they asking deeper questions? Do, do they feel like they care about you as an individual? And are they upfront about things? For example, um, no matter who you are in the industry, there are conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we just need to, to, uh, to disclose those. And so if a planner is upfront and that says, oh, yeah, there, there are these potential conflicts, or here's my entire fee schedule right here, you know, the more um, – the more they're open about things is obviously a good sign. Um, in my book, I do have a chapter uh, in there that's called um, The Value of a Personal Financial Trainer, where I actually talk about um, how to select a financial advisor, uh, how to find one that knows uh, about the psychology of investing. And I suggest a few questions in there to ask as you're interviewing these advisors to see what kind of answers uh, they give. And one of those questions, which is the really the only true open-ended question is, tell me, uh, advisor, what role does psychology play in investing? And then you just sit back and listen. Not that you're quizzing them. Mm-hmm. You just want to see whether they have any background in this at all. And if it's very general, such as, well, yeah, I mean, obviously we're, we're emotional, we're psycho, you know, they're general, then they may not have as much of um, uh, an, an understanding of this. So obviously I'm biased myself. I speak about this all the time. So I think an advisor that understands the psychological aspect of things is going to bring more to the table than uh, one that doesn't would do. But that does not mean that that's everything. I think the key thing is finding an advisor that you trust, um, that is open with you, 
uh, as far as how they bill and stuff, that's more personal preference too. Yeah, but so, that, yeah, but it can make a significant difference if you have a significant portfolio. I, I would think. Although I suppose if you have a really significant portfolio, then then you need to have the higher, the the more um, seasoned financial planner. Or it really depends upon that? the complexity of things too. I mean, it's it's very similar to anything else. I mean, I know advice. I know planners that uh, do the hourly, and I know planners that charge uh, the percentage. And they both do uh, similar jobs. Uh, perhaps the, uh, the, uh, the hourly could end up being equally as expensive as the other one, depending upon the depth that's needed, how complex the, the system is. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't have a say there because, to me, I, I understand one could be more expensive than the other. But when it all comes down to it, um, a, a bad investment decision can cost you way more than a 1% annual fee. And that's kind of the way that I see it. So even if you say, gee, I've got, you know, $3 million and this guy's, you know, or this planner here is getting, you know, 30000 a year out of me. And say, well, how, you know, are they helping you avoid the bad decisions that are out there? Because sometimes the best advice from somebody is to not make the bad trade. Uh, is to not act impulsively. And so uh, if you're working with an advisor where there's a fee base, uh, they have the assets on their books, so they know what trades are happening. If you're working with one that does an hourly rate, they don't hold their assets with them typically. They will tell you, go do this, and then you go to you know Schwab or Fidelity or whoever your, your favorite brokerage is, and you do it there. But if you want to impulsively trade something, you can do it, and that planner doesn't know until you go back and say, oh, yeah, during the year I did this. By the way. <laughs> yeah. By the so, way, I just so, yeah, just blew $40,000, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and so and, and the, the planners will both be equally as good. It's really just based upon what type of engagement the individual is looking for. Right, right, exactly. Okay. Jay Moreland, thank you so much for being with us this morning on Talk with Francesca. Listen. If you want to pick up his book, The Emotional Investor, How Biases Influence Our Investment Decisions and What You Can Do About It, you can pick it up on Amazon. And um, and it's, it's a tiny little book. You can fit it right in your, your pocketbook. And, hey, you know, when you go on vacation this winter, you know, pull it out, read it in the afternoon on the beach. Jay, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Francesca. Okay. Have a great new year. Bye-bye. All right, it's time to wrap things up. We've got to say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next week. Same time, same place. Make it a great week. Don't try.